Welcome, little frozen chosen, those of you who made it this morning, praise the Lord. It's good to have everybody with us. Um, yeah, well, you know, just uh, same day as daylight savings arrives at the same time as a snowstorm, just perfect. <clears throat> uh, well, it, it is actually a fitting introduction. Um, to a season we are entering into. I'm Pastor Andrew Gross, by the way. I'm the associate pastor here. And uh, uh, so uh, the season we're entering into is Lent. Now, it's unusual for churches of our tradition to observe Lent. Uh, those of you who come from a Catholic background or a Lutheran background, you, know, you might be more familiar with uh, uh, that observation. Uh, but it's rare if you come from uh, the background of a church like this, a uh, Pentecostal church or an independent church, to have this, uh, this observation of Lent. So Lent is a really interesting because Lent is, a, um, Lent is a, actually an invitation from uh, Jesus to uh, enter into, to join Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, so the 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness, most of you are familiar with that story. Uh, 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness, and uh, um, and the Lent is a season that the church uh, invented thousands of years ago to try to uh, invite all of us to join Jesus out in the wilderness. Uh, somebody uh, tell me, what, what are some things uh, that happened to Jesus or that Jesus did when he was in uh, the wilderness, those 40 days. The temptation, yeah. Uh, the, um, it can also, that word temptation can also be translated as tested. Uh, Jesus was tempted and tested out in the wilderness uh, uh, by the devil. Uh, there was a direct confrontation between uh, Jesus and the devil in that season. Uh, what, what else? What else happened out there? Fasted. Okay, thank you. He fasted for 40 days. Now, he didn't just give up um, sweets for 40 days. Uh, Jesus gave up everything for 40 days, including water. So he didn't eat or drink for 40 days straight. Uh, and it says that at, by the end of that time, he, he was tired <laughs> and he was hungry. All right. So uh, Jesus was hungry, surprisingly, after 40 days of fasting. Uh, any, anything else we know of? That he was he was tested and tempted out there in the wilderness. He fasted. He prayed. Angels ministered to him, and he he prayed. Yeah, he prayed. Um, uh, we we know Jesus uh, communed with the Father out there, and he prayed. And the angels ministered to him while he was out there. Uh, <clears throat> it says in Hebrews when it was describing uh, Jesus in his uh, in his ministry, it said Jesus in Hebrews chapter five verse seven says Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, interesting. So, so Jesus uh, cried uh, and he prayed with tears. Interesting. Um, so this 40 days is often a time that Christians uh, remember that in those for Jesus' 40 days, that Jesus did something called lamenting. Lamenting. That's a word some of us are familiar with. Uh, our kinds of churches don't really like the word lament. We like to go straight for the, the joy and the fun 
and celebrating the resurrection and woohoo, look at those miracles. Uh, that's what we generally, our kind of church generally uh, likes to do. Uh, but for thousands of years, the church has also held up this tradition of lamenting in imitation of Jesus, because Jesus lamented. It says that he, he prayed with loud cries and with tears. And uh, so what, what, is, what is lamenting? What is lamenting? So uh, the word lament, its simplest way to describe it is it means to grieve or to regret something, to grieve or regret something, and specifically uh, to fit in with our, uh, see, our, our year of living justice, it means to grieve or to regret the injustice that we see around us. We know that there is coming a day, a beautiful day, a wonderful day, when Jesus comes back, we, he will appear to us face to face, and in that, starting on that day, uh, every injustice will be completely wiped away, all of God's enemies, uh, the devil, uh, decay, death, everything is going to be completely defeated uh, and reversed, all of creation is actually going to be reversed, and God will dwell with us. Uh, he'll actually be here and create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to create everything new. And scripture says he's going to wipe away every tear. Uh, and so all of those injustices that you have ever faced in your life, all those injustices that you've ever struggled with, all of those are going to be completely reversed and wiped away. But well, you should say amen for that because that's really good. You guys. That's, that's really good news. All right. Really, really good news. Um, uh, but we're not there yet, are we? Uh, and the, every single day, there is mounting evidence of the injustice uh, in the world around us. The really big-scale injustice, like nations taking advantage of other nations and uh, exploiting groups of people. So we, we know that's there. It can be more intimate injustice that happens in our interpersonal relationships, injustice that happens inside of our family. Um, uh, so injustice is, is everywhere, and so a lament is a, a, a planned grieving over those injustices, a planned grieving, all right? Now, that might sound weird, because most of us think of grief as a surprise. Somebody close to us in our family dies, and we begin grieving. We don't want to be grieving. Um, and so what on earth could that mean, a planned grieving? Well, <clears throat> you see, in... How the, how the church has arranged this over the centuries is that lamenting, um, conscious, deliberate, planned lamenting, is actually, um, it, it's to keep us from that kind of permanent wallowing in our own hopelessness, all right? How many, uh, don't raise your hand here, but how many of us have been in a place of despair where uh, it feels like we're just permanently stuck in wallowing in our own sorrow? Uh, and it feels awful, all right? Um, get a little groove in there. Thanks. Thanks. All right. <clears throat> Lest we get too depressed with uh, talking about lament. Um, so, um, uh, and, and so lament is actually part of God's plan to take us from that hopeless wallowing to a place of hope. All right? Uh, it's actually a planned journey by God to take us to hope. Um, and... Uh, um, and, and, and the lament that we experience is actually a very fruitful, very important uh, thing for us if we're going to become maturing Christians. Um, 
Jesus, I, I um, well, well, first off, let me just, uh, welcome to the wilderness. That's what we're calling this series, Welcome to the Wilderness, because L- Lent is a season where we're invited to join Jesus in the wilderness. Um, uh, I thought this was an interesting picture of uh, Jesus. Most of the pictures that, you know, you see of Jesus, you, you see him confident, he's just healed somebody, or, uh, but, but here you get a, a, a touch, uh, a hint of the, the sorrow he experienced, the loud cries and the tears that he experienced. And here, here he is, gaunt and emaciated uh, in the wilderness, and he's actually inviting us to join him there. Now, like I said, though, that, that wasn't uh, for no purpose, that lamenting. It was, it was part of this planned journey from hopelessness to hope. I want to point out just a few things about uh, this story of him in uh, the wilderness. Uh, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted or tested. I have both words there because both are legitimate translations. By the devil. Uh, and then skip ahead past the story. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of, uh, to Galilee. A couple interesting things I want, us, I want us to notice about this passage here. Uh, it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of this story, okay? So a lot of us think of a wilderness experience or a lamenting experience. We think of that as the absence of God's presence. Jesus was full of the Spirit at the beginning of this. And then, interestingly, it says he returned from, or he returned from the Jordan and he was actually led by the Spirit in the wilderness, a lot of us think of our wilderness wandering as an accident, a mistake. Uh, we're there because we're being abandoned by God. We're wandering around aimlessly because uh, we can't find God. That's how it often feels at the time. But Jesus was led by none other than the Spirit of God in the wilderness. Okay, so he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. He uh, was led by the Spirit into and in the wilderness. And then... Skipping past the story, verse 14, it says that he returned in the power of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in the power of the Spirit. And yet, how many of us want to skip ahead past the wilderness wandering, past the lament, and we want to jump right into the power of the Spirit, right? We want to jump right into the resurrection. We want to jump right into the miracles. We want to jump right into the fun stuff, all right? And yet God has seen fit that we go through the wilderness first, that we have to pass through the wilderness. And when we choose to lament during uh, the season of Lent, that is a very deliberate choice on our part, a voluntary choice um, to uh, to go through that wilderness wandering. Instead of, oh no, I'm in the wilderness. No, I'm going to fight you, God. I'm going and to try to fight my way back to all the resurrection and all the cool stuff and all the power and all the fun miracles and everything. And yet Jesus actually wants us to wander with him in the wilderness for a season. Um, and, you know, Paul, the apostle, really got this. Um, you think of if anybody was, if any uh, just 
person besides Jesus was anointed with the power of God. It was Paul the Apostle. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul has this very unusual statement. He says, uh, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And most of us from the Pentecostal evangelical tradition are like, yeah, yeah, yep, I love that part of the verse. <clears throat> and he wants to know his suffering. He says, I want, to know you, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And then Paul goes on and says uh, that um, uh, somehow by knowing, by becoming like Christ in his death, then somehow he will attain to the resurrection of the dead. So Paul recognized the resurrection and all of its power and all its miracles, you get it through the cross. You get it through fellowshipping uh, with Jesus' sufferings, joining Jesus in his sufferings. And uh, those 40 days that Jesus was in the wilderness, there are some theologians who've said over the years that the cross was decided upon or the cross was determined in the wilderness. It was in the wilderness in those 40 years, or 40 days, excuse me, that Jesus, uh, you know, we don't know this for sure because it doesn't say it directly in the text, but, uh, but Jesus made up his mind, basically, he was going to go through with the whole plan, including the cross. So those 40 years prepared Jesus for, or sorry, those 40 uh, days prepared Jesus for the cross. Jesus was made ready for the cross uh, in those, those uh, 40 days. And in the same way, during Lent, when we choose to join Jesus in the wilderness, we are prepared. We are made ready for the ultimate thing Jesus calls us to, which is the cross. He, he does call us to the resurrection. He does call us to the power. He does call us to all of that. And he calls us to his cross. So some questions then. Uh, how do we participate? How, how do we involve ourselves in this? Especially some of us have never done any Lentish sort of thing. Others of you, maybe it's bringing back post-traumatic stress syndrome and for how, you know, the church you grew up in, they forced you to do Lent, and it was awful, and, and uh, made you give up, you know, chocolate or something for the, uh, for the season. I may have told the story before, but my, uh, my college roommate, uh, he, he was a good Lutheran, and he, um, uh, every year he, he would give up chocolate <laughs> and, uh, uh, for Lent. And, but on Easter Day, all right, his parents would send him uh, a chocolate Easter bunny, and not, not one of those hollow chocolate Easter bunnies about this big. They would send him the giant, solid Easter bunny. It was almost human size. <clears throat> and my roommate would eat the whole thing in a single day. <clears throat> and at the end, he was, he was just, you know, just lying there like this the whole time. Oh, and, and he, but he would, you know, he would start feeling that halfway through the bunny, and he would just keep eating, eating, and then at the end, he was like, oh, and this happened year after year after year, and we're like, why, what do you do, why, why are you doing that? He's like, oh, anyway, so maybe you're having post-traumatic syndrome at the idea of Lent, I don't know if that was your experience, but, so there's several ways to participate, um, one is fasting, now in your bulletin, there's this gray sheet here, uh, it says fasting options, so some of us have had a long experience with fasting. Some of us have had no experience with fasting, and most of us are somewhere uh, in between. Um, 
I just want to point out a couple things. You can take this flyer home and think about uh, fasting. But it says we don't fast in order to gain God's favor, but because we have experienced his favor, we fast to humble our hearts, to make us more tender in prayer, and to increase our capacity to receive him. Um, it's a statement of faith to God that he is our sustenance. Uh, and so w- one of the things that happens when you fast is uh, you you become very in touch with your need. Uh, and if you've ever fasted before, one of the first things you realize is your need for God's help in your moods. All right, Fasting is one of the quickest ways to become grumpy. If you, if you were not made grumpy this morning by having to wake up early and uh, by having to uh, shovel snow, then fasting will get you there faster than anything else. Um, uh, now, that's a good thing, actually, because it gets you in touch with who you really are. What food often does, the way we love to stuff ourselves with food, is it covers over those moods so we're not in touch with them. All right? Uh, um, and so it gets us in touch with, with who we, with our real feelings and our moods. So that's a really positive thing. Um, it also, the hunger reminds us to turn to God. What, what many people do when they fast is uh, the, the time that they would have spent on a meal or a dessert or, or, or whatever it is that they might be fasting from, uh, they will um, they'll use that time and that energy to turn to God. And uh, it's a wonderful way. It's, it's a built-in reminder. It's this alarm clock. You know, you have this hunger pain. You're like, oh, oh, and now it's time to turn to God. So it can be very useful and helpful that way. Now, some of you should not uh, do a physical fast, um, for whether it's a medication you're taking or, or whether it's some kind of, uh, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of biological reasons for various people why they should not fast. Um, or you want to be very careful how you fast, what you fast from. That is totally fine. There are all kinds of different fasts. Uh, there, uh, this list here uh, has got some of those options for you, um, and it could be all kinds of things. Some of you need to take a social media fast. Some of you need to take a media fast in general. Some of you need to um, fast from certain toxic relationships in your life. Uh, there was uh, several years ago I had to fast Actually, from um, <laughs> sounds so weird. I, I had to fast from uh, late nights. Um, I, in other words, I had to force myself uh, to uh, go to sleep on time, <laughs> and that was a fast. Actually, I was give. I had to give something up uh, in order to turn to God. Um, uh, so anyway, there's all kinds of different fasts. So that is one option um, that you can do. Uh, one way you can participate in Lent, one way you can join Jesus um, out in uh, the wilderness. Um, Another uh, thing uh, is is prayer, all right? Now, there is a close relationship between fasting and and praying. Uh, The hunger pain or whatever it is you're giving up, whenever you create space uh, in your life through a fast, uh, that is a space to be filled with God, and and prayer is the perfect way uh, to handle that. Um, now, there's individual, fa- uh, excuse me, individual prayer. There's also corporate prayer. Every Thursday, we do this all year long, not just during Lent, but every Thursday, uh, if you go um, through these doors, up a little staircase, and the, the first door you see, uh, that's our, we call it our prayer room. If you've never been there, uh, come join us on a Thursday. There's a 7 a.m., a noon, and a 5 p.m. prayer, and it is, uh, those of you who who come can testify it is an amazing, marvelous experience to pray with other people, especially other people who are seeking the Lord 
as you are. Um, uh, so coming to one of those. Also, our pre-service prayer. Um, some of you may or may not know that before every service, starting around 8.45, 9 o'clock, several of us gather, same prayer room through those doors, uh, and uh, it is a marvelous thing uh, to pray together. It not only prepares you your heart for worship, but it helps, God uses that prayer to help uh, prepare everybody's heart uh, for gathering in worship. So, so prayer. Um, and there's, uh, in uh, just about a month, um, on August 13th, we're going to have our, a prayer retreat that everybody is welcome to. You're going to hear more details about it. Um, uh, it's, uh, so August 13th, did, what, did I, what did I just say? August. They both start with A, all right? How could I be expected to keep those straight? Thank you. April 13th, Sats a Saturday. Uh, the cost is, is 20 bucks, so we're keeping it really, really low for everybody. If you need help with the, that cost, we can help you with that. Um, the, you'll hear lots more details about that later. Um, we're actually uh, renting a, a beautiful space um, that's connected the beautiful, gorgeous uh, forest and park, um, uh, time alone with God, time together uh, with God. It's going to be a, a great time, but it's going to be an opportunity to learn how to pray for those of you who are starting out, and for those of you who've been praying for, for a long time, it's going to deepen your prayer life. So uh, anyway, more details on that to come. So prayer. Um, a third thing you can do to participate during Lent is chew. You've already heard about chew. Uh, in Chu, we, um, uh, we talk about the sermon. We're going to talk about uh, the scripture for the week and, uh, and, and chew physically, food. We're going to chew food. Uh, but we're also going to be chewing on the word of God. Uh, so that's why, how it got that name. And that, the first one is today, um, right at, or not immediately after service, probably about 15, 20 minutes after the service. All right, the fourth thing you can do to participate. All right, some of you have been wondering, what on earth is going on? over here. Did Pastor Ben have an accident when he was fixing something? Uh, no. So this, as you can see, this this looks like a tomb. Yeah, an ancient Near Eastern tomb. They didn't have nice uh, fixed tombs, uh, you know, built up um, uh, back then. Uh, the, um, the land of Palestine is filled with uh, um, limestone caves everywhere you go and there's all these little nooks and crannies and caves and so that's where people got buried a lot and uh and then they would uh seal those caves with a big heavy stone and um uh and so so that's where people were buried now of course as i'm sure most of you would recognize this is supposed to represent and symbolize jesus's tomb so of course we're, you're going to hear more about this as lent goes on but of course when, when Jesus died, even though Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to rise from the dead, his disciples didn't get what was going on. And so they were grieving and they were mourning. They were lamenting. They were lamenting at Jesus' death. Not realizing that Jesus' death was sort of like when a seed falls to the ground, the seed has to die. The, 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 the kernel actually has to split open. The seed has to die in order for growth to happen. And so Jesus' death was like, so, like uh, he, he was being sown in the ground for new life to come. And he, Jesus even said that to the disciples, and they still didn't get it. So if we're going to join Jesus in the wilderness, and if we're going to let the wilderness experience, if we're going to let lament prepare us for his resurrection, if, they're, if we're going to let us 
uh, let it prepare us uh, to put our hope in him, one of the things we can do as we lament the injustices around us is uh, little pieces of paper here. You can come up and you can write down or illustrate. There's also colored pencils here too. Uh, you can illustrate or write down a lament that you have. And it might be lament about something really big, that horrible thing that's happening over there or some horrible thing that's happening in this country. It might be something on a much smaller scale, something happening in your family, something, something happening in your personal life. And you're going to write it or illustrate it, and you're going to put it in the tomb as a way of showing your hope, a sign of hope that God is going to do something with it. Does that make sense? Uh, instead of just wallowing in sorrow about how uh, terrible the, the, the thing is that you're lamenting, you're actually going to bring it to God, and you're going to place it in the tomb with Jesus, trusting that like God raised Jesus from the dead, God's going to raise that, that, that lament, that, you're, that thing that you're, that injustice that you were lamenting over, he's going to raise that from the dead and do something miraculous with it. All right? People understand, I think, hopefully, sort of. All right, good. But we're not just lamenting, by the way. We're not just lamenting what's going on around us. There's plenty to lament what's going on around us. We're also lamenting the injustice inside of us, aren't we? Because injustice isn't just out there. Injustice is in here. Every time we fail to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's injustice inside of us. Every time that we fail to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, there's injustice inside of us. And so, and, and, and if, if you're like me and if you're human, you've, rec you've come to the point of recognizing you don't have it inside of you. You don't have the power, the strength, the smarts, the energy. You don't have it inside of you to fulfill those commands. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You don't have it inside of you. And so part of what Lent gives us the opportunity to do, part of what this tomb gives us the opportunity to do, is to lament with Jesus that that injustice is inside of you. And to put the lament in the tomb, hoping, trusting God is going to do something with it. It's actually God who somehow miraculously is going to enable you and empower you to live for him and to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Good, right? About Lent. All right, so um, uh, I want to uh, move on and spend a little bit of time talking about um, the book of Numbers because... So Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, now, <clears throat> this is maybe too obvious to even ask this, but uh, when Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, what do you think for the, uh, the people who read this story back in the first century, the first people who read it, what do you think they were supposed to think of? What do you think that was supposed to be triggered in their memory, especially if they were Jewish and they were familiar with the, all the stories in the Old Testament? What do you think they were supposed to, what, what do you think was supposed to be triggered in their imagination when they heard about Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness? 
Yeah, 40 years in the wilderness. Who spent 40 years in the wilderness? It was the Israelites, all right? Now, uh, we're going to discover in this series why the, the Israelites had to spend 40 years there instead of uh, the couple years that they, at the time, at, where story picks up, where we're going to jump into the story. Um, they had been, they had left Egypt just two years before, and they'd been uh, encamped around Mount Sinai for two years now. And, uh, and so why, and, and the wilderness uh, where they were at was only a couple weeks journey uh, to the promised land. It, it would have taken a crowd their size a couple weeks to travel by foot from where they were near Mount Sinai to the promised land that God was going to take them to. Why then, if it, if it only should have taken a couple weeks, why did it take 40 years? Well, we're going we're gonna to find out. We're going to find out why it took them 40 years. And uh, so we need to get back into uh, the story. So um, let's see. By, by the way, all this is, uh, um, there's, there's Jesus. Welcome to the wilderness. <clears throat> and a year of living justice 2019. Um, uh all right, let's get to um, our lessons from Numbers chapter 1 through 10. So if you could open up to the book of Numbers with me. And I'm not, we're not going to read the whole thing straight through, I promise. But I, there's a couple things, I, there's a few things I want to point out uh, about this book as we go through. Um, <clears throat> chapter 1 is all about a census that they took of the Israelites, uh, after they had been encamped at Mount Sinai for two years. And that census, uh, now, uh, if, you, if you had a chance to read through chapter one, you know, this is, this is, these are the parts of the Bible that, you know, um, uh, people who haven't read the Bible, their stereotype is that, like, these, these are the boring parts of the Bible. This is the, the parts you skip over because there's all these names and there's lists of names. Um, uh, the census was really important because uh, God wanted Moses to count all the, the fighting men because they were going to be necessary uh, later, future part of the story. So the census is really important that way. Uh, and this is, by the way, where we get the, the name for the book. The book of Numbers is called Numbers because of this census. They went through and numbered all of uh, the fighting men. Now, uh, one thing I just want us to, to think about as in that chapter, is that every, did you know that every person counts for God? It, it would be easy, there's all these scenes of the Israelites kind of moving as a big crowd, and it would be easy to think of them as, as this group of nameless, uh, um, identityless people. But actually, uh, in, in naming many of these people and in actually counting them, there's this reminder that every one actually counts. You count, believe it or not. Some of you don't believe that, but it's true. Uh, and then in chapter 2, there it describes how they were supposed to arrange their camp. It's very interesting. Um, there is a, um, that they were supposed to arrange their camp in sort of a cross shape. Um, and actually, um, Annette, I think we're going to show the video right now um, this is going to give you guys a uh, kind of an overview of the book of Numbers, and um, and then we're gonna we're gonna come back to kind of look in at each each chapter here. So, all right. 
Okay. Well. Okay. So nice overview. Uh, that's from the Bible Project again. Uh, by the way, uh, those you know, just go on YouTube and look for them. They've got tons and tons of stuff. It's a great way to get, especially overviews of uh, parts of the Bible. Um, uh, I think they've done a little video like that for every book in the Bible, or almost. Or I'm, I'm not sure if they finished it, but um, uh, anyway, it's a powerful way to connect with Scripture. Um, so, um, back to uh, back to this. So, there's this census. The book's named after the census. Then there's this arrangement. Um, uh, God says this is where you're, this tribe is supposed to camp, and this tribe is supposed to camp here. And uh, what's interesting about that, if you if you noticed in that video how it's arranged, where is the tabernacle, the tent of meeting? Did anyone notice that? It's right in the center. Okay, that's supposed to remind us. That's supposed to symbolize that the thing, the distinguishing mark, the most distinguishing thing about the people of God, was that God dwelt at their center. God was in the midst of them, and he was at the center of everything. It was supposed to be this very visual, physical, constant reminder for the Israelites as they marched through the wilderness that God was at the center of everything. All right? Uh, Are we a people that goes through our life remembering God is at our center? When we interact with each other as uh, a congregation, are we acting like we've got God at our center? Uh, Pastor Steve referred to this. Many of you uh, yesterday showed up to this great discussion we had about, uh, you know, where is, where is God taking the church uh, as we learn how to minister to refugees and immigrants in our midst? And um, it was a fantastic discussion. One of the things that made it a fantastic discussion was uh, even though there, there were some disagreements among people, everybody loved Everyone who was present loves God so much that everybody treated each other with deep, deep respect. Uh, I, I, was, I was just blown away at how much respect there was and consideration for other people in that room. It didn't descend into fisticuffs. It didn't <laughs> turn into slinging arguments. People weren't posting angry things on Facebook about each other uh, in the, while they were in the same room with each other. None of that was happening, um, uh, but... but People were acting as if God was in our midst, okay? Um, are, and do we continue to, to do that uh, in, in life? Are we that kind of people, that kind of church? Um, then there's uh, chapters uh, three through four are really interesting. The storyline kind of zeroes in, focuses. It has been surveying the whole people of Israel, and then it focuses in on the Israelites and the priests. Uh, sorry, the, the priests and the Levites, um, one tribe. Uh, and it was, it's really interesting because uh, those first couple chapters, it's talking all about the, the inheritance that, that uh, the, the people are going are, are gonna to get and, and, and uh, the, how they're supposed to be numbered. And it, it, it's, it's great. But then there's this focus on the Levites who weren't supposed to be numbered. Um, and there's this fascinating uh, thing. God had said when he delivered the people out of Egypt that he was going to take the firstborn of every family and the firstborn was going to be dedicated uh, to him. And then in this act of grace, God said, instead of taking firstborn uh, from uh, every family, I'm going to just take the Levites sort of as a replacement for the firstborn uh, in, in every family. And, uh, and they are going to be the ones who, um, whose job it is to 
clean and carry and watch over and protect uh, the tabernacle. Um, and along with that, then, then verse 5 uh, um, get, continues on with what a lot of we, we've read about in, Le, in uh, Leviticus, about the holiness and the purity of uh, the camp. And along with that, in, uh, verse, or sorry, in chapter 6, uh, there's this very special vow that uh, people can take uh, called the Nazarite vow. It's very, it's interesting, really interesting description. And then uh, uh, chapter six ends with this. Uh, you've you've heard this before. Aaron's blessing, and I'm just going to read that um, at this end of these chapters, all about holiness. It says in chapter six, verses, verse, starting verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face." shine upon you. You guys remember the whole idea of God's face. Um, that's, a, that's a sign of God's favor towards us. So he's, it's, a, it's a prayer, it's a blessing that God's favor would be extended towards us. God's actually looking at us with favor. Uh, God make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Here's the word face again. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So you will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Uh, now, I, I want to I say something uh, really important about this idea of holiness that these chapters so far are about. Um, I've noticed in maybe the last decade or so that the word holiness has become a bad word among Christians. Now, it's always been a bad word for non-Christians, but for Christians, it's turned into this bad word. And, I, you know, I don't know if it's like we're embarrassed by it. I don't know if it's because we don't want to. We we know that non-Christians are thinking, oh, you think you're so holier than thou. You think you're so self-righteous. We, we think it's like saying that we're self-righteous or something. Um, and, and yet, um, there is this call in Scripture to, um, to uh, holiness. And holiness... Um, now, let, let, me, let me put it, there's a lot we could be talking about holiness. Pastor Steve's already talked a lot about holiness as we talked about Leviticus. Um, but there, there, there's something I want to just point out about, about holiness. If I have, um, uh, let's see, if I have a guest come into my house, I don't just continue to lie there on the couch when the guest comes in um, and and uh, not acknowledge their presence. Nope, I'm going to get myself up off the couch. I'm going to greet the guest. I'm going to ask them to sit down. I'm going to ask if they want something to drink or eat. I'm going to interact with them. I am going to uh, rearrange myself. I am going to disturb myself. I am going to adjust myself. I'm going to inconvenience myself for the sake of the guest, right? You agree with that? Even if you never had anyone in your home, in theory, you know that you should do that, right? Okay. <clears throat> um, if God, if the presence of God comes among us, should we not inconvenience ourselves? Should we not stir ourselves up? Should we not adjust ourselves for the sake of the presence of God? Um, Annette, if you could skip ahead uh, to, to the one, the, the big red one there. Um, just skip ahead to that, uh, and we'll, uh, yeah, that one. Okay, so 
it says this later in Deuteronomy. It's the next book. I'm, I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I think this, this, this verse really captures the idea. Um, it says, For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. Your camp must be holy, so that he will not see among you anything indecent and turn away from you. All right? So if the, the holy living God comes to dwell among us, it's an appropriate response to adjust ourselves for his presence. Does that make sense? And that, that is essentially what holiness is. Holiness, it, yep, sometimes it feels inconvenient. Sometimes it feels like uh, a disturbance. Sometimes it feels like it uh, gets us out of our rhythm. <clears throat> it breaks us out of being absorbed with ourselves. But that's an appropriate response when a guest comes. And it's an especially appropriate response when God himself comes. So if we're going to be the people of God, and if we're going to be distinguished like the Israelites were, I said earlier, the thing that distinguished them was that the presence of God was in their midst. All right? If we're going to be distinguished that way, then we need to adjust ourselves with personal holiness. Okay? So that's what I'm going to say about that. Um, and Lent, by the way, as we grieve the injustices outside of us and inside of us, that's a, that's a perfect time to take stock and say, where, God, am I not um, welcoming your presence into my life by adjusting myself for your sake? Where, 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 am I, where do I need to do that? All right, um, I'm going to go back here. Um, don't want to get too far ahead of here. All right, so Nazarite vow, Aaron's blessing. Um, then there's these uh, really interesting two chapters here. They're all about uh, the, uh, how everybody contributed uh, their riches to uh, create the tabernacle and to provide for the Levites. Um, and then there's this special uh, in chapter 8 here about how the Levites, uh, how they were actually commissioned and dedicated uh, to God. Uh, so really interesting story. <clears throat> then we get to verse, or sorry, to chapter 9. And it gets, uh, it gets really interesting. The first part of chapter 9, the Israelites celebrate the Passover. You guys remember the Passover? All right. The Passover, that's when, way back when they were still in Egypt, two years before this, the Passover is where uh, God uh, told them Every, every family was to take a, a new lamb, a year-old lamb, that, and they were supposed to sacrifice it. They were supposed to take the blood and put the blood on uh, the, the doorposts of their house, and that blood was to be a sign to the angel of death to pass over that house and not strike the firstborn. Um, uh, and, so, uh, and then God said, keep doing this every year in this particular month on these particular days. Keep doing this to remember who I am and what I've done for you. Uh, and here they are two years later. They are celebrating uh, the Passover again. So, so things look like they're off to a great start. They're remembering what they're supposed to remember. They're celebrating what they're supposed to celebrate. <clears throat> and then we get this fascinating story about the cloud. Uh, if you look with me in chapter 9 here, I just want to read some of it here. <clears throat> On the day of the tabernacle, sorry, Yes, thank you. Verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, was set up, the cloud covered it. Now, if, if you remember, up till now, there was God's demonstrated that he was with them. 
there was this pillar of fire at night, and there was this pillar of cloud. It would turn into a pillar of cloud during the day, and, um, and that was this visible, tangible reminder that God was with them. Uh, and on, in verse 15, from evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the the Lord's order and did not set out. Verse 20, sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and then it lifted at night. Whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So what I want to point out from this is, uh, so I already said that one of the distinguishing marks of the people of God was that God was at their midst. And uh, they were a people that constantly remembered God was in their midst. And everything was set up to remind them of that. The second distinguishing mark was that they were to be they were a holy people. They were to readjust themselves, inconvenience themselves in order to host the presence of God. A third distinguishing mark about the Israelites was supposed to be that they were a people that moved when God moved. All right? They were to be a people that were mobilized, mobilized. That means when an army is mobilized, that means it's ready to go, all right? It's not sitting there dilly-dallying and fixing this and adjusting that and sewing that up and uh, getting these things ready. Uh, a mobilized army is ready to go when the general says, now, we're going, okay? The people of Israel were to be a mobilized people. Uh, that um, verse um, Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. All right? We are to be a mobilized people. When God moves, we need to be ready to move with him, not dragging our feet, not hanging back, not slumping like, oh, no, I have to do it again. We are to be a people who are ready to go, mobilized, nimble, ready to jump up when he says it's time to jump up and go. Um, So that is a third distinguishing mark. I already mentioned the first one is uh, that we be a people of God's presence. Uh, God's actually with us. Secondly, following from that is that we be a holy people who can host his presence. And third, that we are a people that are ready to go. How does that relate Jesus in the wilderness? Remember, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit in those, year, those uh, days that he was in the wilderness. And he left in the power of the Spirit. 
Jesus figured out, he learned what the Israelites were supposed to learn. God had set up everything for the Israelites to learn this lesson, that they were to be a mobilized people, ready to go when he said to go. As we're going to find out in the coming weeks, things didn't go well. Uh, The Israelites did not learn that, uh, or very well. Jesus knew that, and Jesus learned that lesson. So so what we discover, part of the hope of Lent, part of the hope of Jesus' ministry, part of the hope of his 40 days in the wilderness is we learn, we discover, that Jesus succeeded where the Israelites failed. Jesus redid. When he was doing his 40 days in the wilderness, that wasn't just to kind of remind people about what had happened uh, centuries earlier with the Israelites. Uh, It was also to, basically, he redid the wilderness. He succeeded where the Israelites failed. He knew to be a mobilized person. He was ready go when God said go. When God said it's time to go in the wilderness, it's time to go into the wilderness. When God led him about in the wilderness, he followed. Um, And so my question for you during this Lent, during this Lenten season, is are you and I going to join Jesus out in the wilderness? Are you and I going to choose to join him? Are we going to choose to be a people of God's presence? Are we going to choose to be a holy people set apart so we can host his presence? Are we going to be a mobilized people who are ready to go, who are ready to move when God directs us to move? <clears throat> um, Lent is, the great, is a great time to reflect on that and let him work deeply in our hearts. Um, uh, help, helpful to participate with him, cooperate with him, with fasting, with prayer, um, uh, and uh, also with lamenting, um, as is visibly represented here, lamenting over the, the darkness around us, the brokenness, the injustice around us, but also lamenting about the injustice that is inside of us. The worship team could come on up. Uh, we're going to sing <clears throat> this song about crowning him. And when we crown him, it, that's a, that's, it's a pretty song. It's a nice song, but it's not just about singing some pretty words. Part of what we're doing at the, at the beginning of Lent here, are, when, when you say you're crowning him, you're saying, God, you're my Lord. I want to be a mobilized person that will follow you wherever you go. You get to decide where I go. And so as you sing this song, I encourage you, I invite you, I welcome you to say to God, God, I'm, I'm dedicating myself to join you in the wilderness, even if it means lamenting uh, about my own injustice or the injustice outside of me. So...